They all bad. I'm not saying that I'm any better. All I'm just trying to say is we could all do a lot better. I say it in my own house and I say it on the street. I say it on the record, y'all, and I say it on the beat. I paint it on the world, y'all, so that everybody sees. When we all see justice, then we'll all see peace. All right, here we go. This is Todd Adams. This is Kathy Adams. Welcome to Zen Parenting Radio episode. My voice sounds deep, doesn't it? It does. Sounds like you just woke up or something. I didn't. I woke up at whatever, six or whatever. Um, who was that song? That was Michael Fronte. So, Michael Fronte, thanks for letting us, even though you didn't let us, well, open the show. I, I think I saw on Danielle Laporte's page that... Um, it, the song is called Same As It Ever Was, and it actually came out years ago. And her comment is what broke my heart. She's like, I wish we could stop playing this song. Mm. Because really, it's just about violence and injustice and violence creating violence and um, not recognizing our role. Yep. Um, so, and, and I said... I. Did I say Michael Franti? Yeah. Or, okay, did I say it correctly? I just want to... I've never heard of the guy before just now. Well, he, you know what? You have. You just don't remember his songs. He's he's a really, um, he's a really optimistic, um, spiritual, it's positive... It's don't worry, be happy guy, No, but he's got another one. Um, oh, gosh. I have to look it up. All right, so, go ahead and look it up. Let me open okay, the show. Okay, you go ahead. So this is Zen Parenting Radio, episode number 319. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? I do. And always remember that our motto is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we're going to talk about the tragic uh, occurrences of last week and uh, racism and some other things like that. Um, and then I might share something at the end. I read this really good blog. I haven't shared this with you yet, sweetie, um, called Happy Wife, Happy Life. Oh, nice. This guy wrote a blog that basically is exactly what I wanted to write, but just never got off my butt to do it. Oh, good. So maybe we'll talk about that. Well, you know what? I don't know. I, I kind of thought we were talking about privilege today. Privilege, racism, it's all kind of in the it's same It's interconnected. Thing. Yeah. It's just the language. I just want to be clear about what we're talking about. So the the song I was thinking of, um, in, if you can find it, it's called Say Hey, I Love You, because that's people will know that song. But anyway, he is a singer-songwriter. And um, so I also want to discuss, I want to talk about privilege a little bit. I love song for the world. I just want to write a song about a boy. Never heard of it. Yeah, just wait. Ghetto games. When I saw you getting down, girl, I hope it was you. And when I look into your eyes, I knew it was true. I said, hey, I'll be gone today, but I'll be back from around the way. Do you know it now? Never heard of it. Really? No. It was popular for a while. I know. Um, I don't like popular things. I know. I should have guessed that. But I also want to talk about the universal principles that apply to what's going on in our world right now um, in regards to being good listeners, um, developing compassion in our homes, and also remembering how important validation can be. And I don't mean validation in a, oh, yeah, okay, you're validated, yeah, whatever. I mean true understanding of what other people are experiencing. Because a lot of times our choice to 
hear someone but say, well, yeah, 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 I hear you, but what about me, is why we get stuck. Mm -hmm. And there was a quote that um, I read to Todd last week that I think I had written down before everything happened, if I remember correctly. Um, And the quote was written by a a writer. His name's Chris um, Boschool. And it was in the Huffington Post. And I'll tell you what his article was about, but the quote is the most powerful. When you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. Mm. So I'm going to say that again. When you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. And the story he told was a very basic story. What he said is he was working at a restaurant as a waiter. There was a guy that was hired um, to also be a waiter, and he, you know, he kind of took over really fast, got a lot of tables, kind of big personality, big personality jumped in. Well, the thing that this writer, Chris, started to recognize is when this other guy would like walk down this like narrow alleyway, probably where they would pick up the food, Mm -hmm. you know, like he would just keep walking and not move. And expect others to move around him. Right. And everybody did. And he's probably been doing that his whole his life. His whole life. And they, he he would just walk and other people would go around him and everyone would accommodate him. Finally, one day, this writer, Chris, was like, what is this? Like, why, why does this guy not recognize that we all share this space? So this guy, Chris, decided to keep walking toward him, too. Yeah. And say and didn't say anything, just didn't move either. Yeah. So guess what happens? They ran into each other. Right. And the other guy was like, what's your problem? Yeah, dude. Why'd you run into me? And the other guy said to him, this is a shared space. Mm -hmm. We can both move a little bit. We can both share this space and both be conscious of each other, walking by each other. The guy totally didn't get it. They got into a fight. Yeah. He literally pushed him down and got into a fight. Yeah. The reason that story is important is can you take that very small story and apply that to what's going on right now? When we say things to people, when they're saying, I am struggling, I have been fearful my whole life um, because I know that I'm treated differently and seen differently in this world. And things have happened to me that have never happened to you just because of my skin color. And I have had to literally walk through the world differently than you. And then people say, well, yeah, what about me? When you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. Right. We feel like if we somehow validate their experience, you know, and and when I say they, I don't even like that word, the African-American community, okay, that's what we're talking about this week. But before that, it was the Muslim community. Um, before that, it was the Latino community. Um, sometimes you and I talk about gender disparity, you mm-hmm. know, what women experience. Sometimes it's, you know, um, ageism, sexism. But it's all the same kind of concept. Can we understand that when people are saying, I am being treated differently, why can't we say, yes, I see that? Mm -hmm. Why do we have to fight back with, but I have it hard too? Well, most of us uh, say, most of us have a hard time seeing that. It's because we don't see it. I'm in my white Elmhurst bubble. And the only time I see it is when I see it on the news. And I will say, I believe that that's what some people think. But I'm not defending them. I'm, no, I'm being honest. I, I know. We're, we're yeah. trying to have a dialogue about what's going on. But here's my thought about that. It's not about what we're seeing. It's about what we're experiencing inside. Mm. Can you be honest 
about your experience internally about how you feel about race, what you were taught when you were young, what you were shown on the media, what you see in movies, what songs you hear and what that represents to you. I'm saying this because well, there's a lot of people, especially people who are really progressive, who walk around saying, oh, no, I have no, I have no issue. I, everybody's the same. Everybody's the same. There is no way you can really think that being given the culture we live in. Yeah. So the job is not to say the right thing. It's to go inside and recognize where it is in you and call it out. In every interaction, in every time. When you time, say it, what are you talking about? When you have that feeling of, oh, I see somebody walking down the street and they yeah. happen, to, happen to be African-American, I'm afraid. Yeah, you're prejudging the prejudice. The, pre, the prejudging, or I'm getting on an airplane and there's somebody that is going to be sitting close to me that happens to look Muslim. Yeah. Or, you know, I am going to be sitting next to someone who is really heavy set and that's, I don't want to sit next to somebody like that. You have to see that in yourself and question that. It doesn't mean you rip yourself apart and judge yourself and bring yourself down because that's not going to help. You have to – this, and you know what this is, Todd? This is why this is important for us to talk about on the show. This is mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Do you see in yourself – I don't – what you're seeing out in the world is based on what's going on in you. Right. If you can see – what's going on in you, and you have that deep self-awareness and honesty and vulnerability, then the way you are going to experience the world will be entirely different. Now, the the thing that you said about some people live in their bubble, that's true, where some people don't even know what they don't know. Yeah. And so I'll give you, you know, not give you that, but I do understand that. But at the same time, now that things are being- You can't ignore it. You can't ignore it now. Well, and the other thing I said that that I will that I connected with from what you just said is that a lot of us kind of grow up. A lot of us kind of have this outlook like, "Oh, I don't see colors. We're all the same yeah. color." And I don't know if it was Brian Stevenson or somebody else, but they're like, "That is a recipe for disaster." Absolutely, we need to be able to see each other's differences in order to bring it up in ourselves and to have a discussion, because I think it's just ignorant to say, "Oh, well, we're all the same." I think it's important to acknowledge these ideas that are running through our culture and probably running through our own body. Exactly. And to, because the only way you can empathize with um, a Any group of people right. is to identify it. And for us to just disregard it saying, no, we're all the same. It's not healthy. I think a lot of people try to do that way and it doesn't really work. It's passive, it's lazy, and it's not reality. You have to be able to acknowledge in yourself so to so you can walk in someone else's shoes and hear them. That's what deep listening is. When someone is telling you their experience and you're just sitting there listening, waiting to say your part, mm -hmm. you are not listening. Yeah. It's okay to not have a response. It's okay to just say, yes, that's the way it is. And I see it too. And it's not, you know, it doesn't mean you buy into it or you're doing anything inherently wrong in your day-to-day -day life, but can you just say, I see this yeah, too? this exists. Acknowledgement. Not, and acknowledge not just what you see on the TV, but to your point, mindfulness. How does this play a role in your own decisions on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis, whether it's how you talk to your kids or whether it's how you approach people on the street? Um, the choices you make. Yeah. Um, and 
I, you know, we talked a little bit about I did some Louis C.K. quotes last week on the show and just happened to run across another one um, that I thought was really valuable for this discussion. Louis C.K. said, and he wasn't talking about race when he was saying this, Mm -hmm. but this is why this is universal principles. When a person tells you that you hurt them, you don't get to decide that you didn't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When someone's saying, yeah, this hurts me. Yeah. You don't get to decide, no, you, you shouldn't really be hurt or you're not really hurt right. or no, that didn't really happen to you. It did, you guys. It mm. did. It is. That's not about taking sides because this is – I'm talking about this universally. I think this goes without saying, but I'm going to say this just so we can do have this conversation cleanly. This is not about police or race. This is about how the it's all interconnected. Todd's father was a police officer. A lot of our friends are police officers. We have a great respect f- for what police officers do on an everyday basis. But with that, with that, we have that. And there's also an understanding that things happen and that it's not an entire police force that does it. It's a human being who makes a choice. So this is not if we can just not go mm-hmm. polarized. Mm-hmm. And we can just stay in the middle, which is what Todd and I are always trying to do on this show. See the gray. Do we Re- want to play Trevor real quick? Because sure. this is exactly what he talks go, about. Go ahead. So 24 seconds from Trevor Noah uh, on The Daily Show last week. But with police shootings, it shouldn't have to work that way. For instance, if you're pro-Black Lives Matter, you're assumed to be anti-police. And if you're pro-police, then you surely hate black people. It seems that it's it's either pro-cop and anti-black or pro-black and anti-cop, when in reality, you can be pro-cop and pro-black, which is what we should all be. There's Trevor. And that's the thing, you guys, is when we take the labels off and when we, like, get rid of all of our own, not we can't get rid of it, when we acknowledge all of our own baggage, this is just about people. This is everything that Todd and I talk about on the much smaller scale of families. Do you see people? Do you listen to them? Are you empathetic for their personal experience? When your child walks in the door and tells you that they were afraid at camp, do you tell them they shouldn't have been afraid at camp? Or do you say, I hear you? Mm -hmm. And your experience is valid simply because it's your experience. Yeah, what, what I think we do as a society, generally speaking, is somebody will say, I'm hurting for whatever reason, then we go into our own internal dialogue saying, is it, is it right or wrong that, is it justified of whatever it is that this person is hurting yeah. about? We get- when it really should not matter at all. We should dis, it should, it shouldn't matter if it's right or if it's wrong. Like let's say, you know, my daughter gets mad at something that's completely out of left field and doesn't make any sense at all. It really shouldn't matter that, doesn't make sense. And let me put a qualifier on there. It doesn't make sense to you. Right. And this is something for those of you who have been listening to the show for a long time. Todd and I used to do this all the time in the first couple of years. Todd would say a statement, a statement, and I would say to you. And I would say a statement and he would say to you. Meaning it's it, you know, Todd saying, if it's right or wrong, to you. Mm-hmm. Because to that person, they are having an experience they that are, is real. They are right automatically because it is a feeling feelings aren't wrong exactly feelings are processes of your emotions and regardless of how they got there they're there exactly so it's not our job to convince them out of that feeling and i think that's what we try to do so what can we do 
in regards to understanding ourselves better. Obviously, it's that mindfulness aspect where we have to recognize and have ahas in our own mind about, ooh, wait, I'm feeling this way. Oh, wait, I'm noticing my prejudice popping up when I say this statement. Oh, wait, I'm noticing how I feel when I walk down the street and see a certain person. It's And then in that moment, it's not self-shame that you go for. You go for aha, because you are not that thought. That is what has been ingrained in you because of your generation, the family you grew up in, the media surrounding, the experiences you've had. It, it it's like a, it's it's creeped its way in so deep into your psyche that you don't even think it. You I can't have an even example. Differentiate. Okay, let's hear it. I was talking to my friend Frank yesterday, and we were talking about our men's group, and the conversation just kind of went in different directions. And we talked about you know what happened in Dallas last week and everything, and and before Dallas, and, yeah, yeah, Baton Rouge, St. Paul, and everything else. So then um, we were just talking about how many, if any, African American friends that we have, mm-hmm. and how. Um, I started describing this one guy I play basketball with. His name is Chris. And I said, um, I said, strangely enough, he's a piano player. Mm-hmm. And then Frank questioned me on that. So why would you say strangely why is enough? That str- and my answer is there's probably a bit of prejudice going on inside my body. Like when I think of piano teachers, I think of either old white guys or middle-aged women right. who are like school teachers or something. Right. So there shouldn't should be nothing strange about this I don't know, he's an acquaintance, he's not necessarily a friend. Like, Why is there anything strange about this guy being a piano teacher? And that is a, and there isn't, but that is the aha moment where you go, okay, what am I connecting here? What dots did I connect in my head that made me even say that word? That is an empowering moment Mm -hmm. where you go, it's not, again, you don't beat yourself up and say, gosh, I'm such a bad person. You say, no, isn't that interesting? If you can use, isn't that interesting? Because it's it's interesting that you would say that because um, two of my friends from school who are African-American were piano players. And then I think of Ray Charles, I think of Stevie Mm -hmm. Wonder. So it's not even a real, you know what I mean? So it's like, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? So that's the kind of, and, and I don't want to call it a game, but that's what we have to do because you guys, this isn't about anymore. I, I was just reading an article this morning that a friend posted about the whole idea of praying and, and asking for help outside of us, you know, um, saying, you know, we need to pray to God and we need to, I have no issue with that because I think that's something we can always do for our own strength if that's if that serves us. But it's not about that. It's about what are we doing then with that strength mm-hmm. that we're giving given? What are we doing with the awareness that we can create in ourselves? What are we doing with that to make a change in our lives, in our bodies, in the way we raise our children, in the way we interact at work and on the street? Because that's what this is about. This isn't just about a protest. This isn't just about these experiences because you guys – this has been going on forever, you know. Two two books that I highly recommend if you're feeling like um, uh, not connected to the experience uh, that people are talking about when they say Black Lives Matter. If you're like, I don't understand the difference, and if you're still someone who says all lives matter, again, not that that isn't true, but can you understand why right now – we need to embrace Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. because we need to draw attention to why and how the system fails. Right. 
So, um, and I and I just looked this up, so I would say this correctly. Tanahasi Coates, he wrote "Between the World and Me," an award-winning book that came out a year ago or a year and a half ago. Not only is the book amazing, the interview that I heard with him on NPR with uh, Terry Gross on Fresh Air was one of the best interviews I've ever heard. And I listened to it two or three times because he's he, not only did he talk about race and about his book, but his parenting, the way he perceives the world. It was one of the most honest and vulnerable interviews I have ever heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you guys probably know him because he's a pretty well-known writer. Um, Todd and I have also talked about um, Brian Stevenson on this show, his book, Just Mercy, which deals a little more with the judicial system, but it's the same issue. It's this this culture that we have created where we are unwilling to look at what is unfair. Right. And we are willing we are unwilling to look at privilege and we are unwilling to recognize history and how we're repeating it. And so if you're feeling like, well, I really want, you know, a better take on this, I recommend those two books. Mm. Um, I want to play a quick thing that Barack said. He was in Poland last week. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important. Um and the title of the YouTube clip is America is not as divided as some say. And I just think it's really important. So let me see if I can pull it up. Okay. As painful as this week has been, I firmly believe that America is not as divided as some have suggested. Americans of all races and all backgrounds are rightly outraged by the inexcusable attacks on police, whether it's in Dallas or any place else. That includes protesters. It includes family members who have grave concerns about police conduct. And they have said that this is unacceptable. There's no division there. And Americans of all races and all backgrounds are also rightly saddened and angered about the deaths of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile and about the larger persistent problem of African Americans and Latinos uh, being treated differently in our criminal justice system. So there is sorrow, there is anger, there is confusion about next steps, but there's unity in recognizing that this is not how we want our communities to operate. This is not who we want to be as Americans. And seen. And I could not agree more that even though all these things that we've talked about so far on the show are all essential and necessary, I also believe that we're more on the same page yeah. than we, when I say we, I mean everybody, everybody. Nobody wants police officers killed. Nobody wants citizens killed for, you know, unjustly. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants yeah, these we're, things. We're all pretty much agreeing on almost everything, yet if you turn on the news, it's it's all about how everybody disagrees with everybody. And you know who I get mad at, Todd? Who? Pundits. I get mad 
at the news media and the news cycle that the whole idea is to have a viewpoint and a contrarian. Contrarian. Like the whole idea of, okay, here's a really – a valid thought. And someone saying, well – You're wrong. You're wrong. And that whole idea – and you know what else this comes down to for me? I was thinking about this this morning. Our society is so used to competing and not feeling value unless they win Mm -hmm. that people really believe they need to like have a viewpoint that is the best, the newest, the most innovative, if it be positive or negative, rather than understand, can we just go down to the bare basics of this is about treating people fairly? This is about not using violence to get our needs met. This is about understanding what people are protesting about and having a respect for their experience and also understanding what's going on in ourselves that overtly or covertly adds to the problem. Mm -hmm. This is not about them. It's about each of us. And that's starting to sound so cliche that I can't believe I even just said it. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how to make the point any any stronger. Well, and there's two things that I want to go to regarding what Barack just said. Okay. One is he opened it up saying it's not as bad as it used to be. Yes. Which is kind of weird because these horrific things that people have um, that we can see on video now, it's just so like sadly these things have been happening forever. Yes. And I think what's happening is it's happening less often yet more publicly more publicly mm-hmm. it's more available we can see it on a phone and we couldn't see that before so i think it's one of those the way it's and and believe me i'm not saying well then oh it's not that big of a problem it's a huge problem but the president of the united states who's african american just said it's not as bad as it used to be and when he says used to be he could mean a really long time ago, right. Todd. We don't know if he's talking about 10 years ago. Right, or, and and mm-hmm. I, I I think what I'm just trying to do is it's so easy for us to kind of go to the low, lowest common denominator yes. and thinking about everything, the world's going to hell in a handbag. Yes. And it's not. And the other thing is you talked about this to me last week about the role of um, calm leadership. Mm, thank you for bringing that back up. And is there anything you wanted to say about our fearless president here? I just, I don't even know if we were talking about these issues when Todd and I were discussing this, but... I was actually really upset. What was I? Was it this that I was talking about? You may have been uh, upset at one of the uh, presidential candidates. Candidates. Potentially. What I said to Todd is that leaders are calm, and that is what makes them a leader. It's one of the reasons that I've had so much respect for Barack Obama throughout his presidency, because leaders are calm. And they don't rile people up and cause more problems so they win. Mm-hmm. And I'm putting that in quotes, you know, in quotations like they re- they're in such a competitive mode that they feel that they need to win. What leaders do is attempt to the best of their ability to unify. And that isn't always easy because it's impossible for one person to do it. But what is possible is to listen to a calm leader. Let me take this off of politics for a second and bring it into your home. Are you a calm leader in your home? Right. Is your parenting calm? Is your parenting 
always angry and frustrated and, you know, can't ever get it together, always anxious, always late. Leaders are calm and your children are looking for a way to find calm within all the things they're expected to do and be mm-hmm. while their body's changing, while they're growing. They are searching for ways to be calm and you are their greatest influence. And so if there's if you can take that statement and remember that getting angry and getting all over everyone's case and needing to win and be the person who leading is not done through constantly winning. Yeah. Leading is sometimes saying, I was wrong. We need to do this a different way. Or I was wrong. I saw this incorrectly. I didn't see this through your perspective. Yeah. Leadership is demonstrating how we unify. So I don't know why that came up, but man, that came strongly because can you think of a time when you don't want a calm leader? <laughs> um, weirdly, when you thought when you just said that, it, it reminded me of baseball managers. And what's interesting about baseball managers is usually, you know, most of them get fired, even no matter how good they are. Even the Eventually. Hall of Fame managers get fired. And usually when and there's obviously many different types of baseball managers, but there's usually the calm type. And there's usually the volatile type. Correct. The White Sox are a perfect example. Right now, the manager is Robin Ventura. He's a really calm guy, mellow. The guy that came before him was Ozzie Guillen, who was totally. like fiery and everything else. So um, to answer your question, it, I think that some people be like, no. And like I think of NFL head coaches. Like, no, we need somebody who's going to get mad and get riled like up Ditka, and, yeah. and start. So I don't know what the answer is to your question, but... If I'm going to have one or the other, I'll give me the calm guy, especially when it comes to running a country. Remember, maybe an NFL team or a Major League Baseball team is a different matter, but if somebody running a country, people like calm. <laughs> and and just to, you know, talk through that, and again, I loved Ozzy, you know, mm-hmm. he brought oh, yeah. us a uh, World series, series, right? So it's not about, again, this is not about making good and bad. It's not about polarizing, but what I do want to point out is that why do people like fiery managers? It's good entertainment. You know what I mean? It's good for oh, ratings. Yeah. It's good for True. your oh. fans. It makes, you know, it's 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 not just about what's best in the moment. It's what's good for ratings. Yeah. It's what's good. And, you know, there are times when frustration, whose interview was I listening to? Um, the, the manager who said he was a very calm manager, but when their batters would get hit... He knew he had to go out and oh, yeah. get angry. Yeah. Who was that? Well, you could, I mean, there's most of them will say something like that. So it doesn't matter which one it was. Most of them say you have to go out and defend you your guy. You have to do that yeah. because that is that is necessary for your team to unify. Yeah. And again, I, I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm not judging that. I'm just saying that they understand even if they're a calm leader, I have to stand up for them. Yeah. But I'm thinking about the military. Do you want your general to be crazy and chaotic mm-hmm. or calm? Yeah. Do you want well, it's hard person? to – most important decisions need to get made with a clear head. Yes. And clear-headedness and volatile anger usually don't go hand in hand. Anger literally shuts off your brain. Yeah. Like what we know about anger research-wise is that when you go into rage and anger, you can't access the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is where our – it's our executive functioning where we make – decisions and we parse through things and we're rational. That's what we're developing in our 
unfortunately, teenagers don't have that fully developed yet. That's not fully developed until we're about 25. But once that is fully developed, we need access to it, and rage and anger shuts it off. And so that whole idea, like just that alone lets you know that's not a great place to make decisions. Well, and take that back to your parenting. Like, I love how this is kind of organically going back to parenting, but that's exactly right. Um, If you are screaming at your kid, part of your brain is shut down. And, you know, people want to raise good children. And this is one of those examples of, you know, check yourself. Before you react. Exactly. And, you know, I I saw on uh, social media this weekend, um, Brene Brown, who you guys know, most of you, who is a researcher that Todd and I talk about a lot. She talks about vulnerability and shame and fear and guilt and how that affects our lives. Um, But she was she kind of she gave a great statement that I'll read here. Um, She said, instead of feeling hurt, we act out our hurt rather than acknowledging our pain. We inflict it on others. Neither hate nor blame will lead to the justice and peace we all want. It will only move us further apart. But we can't forget that hate and blame are seductive. Anger is easier than grief. Blame is easier than accountability. When we choose instant relief in the form of rage, we're in many ways choosing permanent grief for the world. Sweetie, I'll see you, your Brene Brown, and raise you a roomie. Okay, let's hear Rumi. So this is a Rumi poem. It's short, maybe 20 seconds, so bear with me. It's called The Guest House. Oh, it's one of my favorites. Oh, do you know it? Oh, I do. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture... Still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Exactly. They come and go. They aren't who you are. They, are, they come as a guest and they ask you to look at them I just wrote something last week about emotions and teaching our children about emotions. What we need to teach them is when the emotion comes, it is there for a reason. It is coming up for a reason. You may not understand the reason, but it's not about you. They are having a feeling. The question is, as we talk about all the time, what do we do with it? Mm -hmm. Going back to what's going on in the world There were people that were so enraged and angered by what they saw on TV that they decided to organize a peaceful protest. Mm -hmm. That is using anger and rage to create change positively. Because those people were not peaceful when they saw what had happened. They became anger and rageful. The energy came in. Right. And what did they do with that? They said, what do I do with this feeling? Let's have a peaceful protest right. and say enough. Yeah. And that's, you know, what happened in Dallas. Um, those people were protesting peacefully. Yes. You know, and again, I wasn't there. So someone may say, well, no, I saw this. I don't know. Generally speaking, generally we speaking, can safely say that was the intention. Yeah. And that is what we do when we see something unjust. That is, it, it's funny, Todd, because I was thinking so much about, um, 
Pastor Cross, mm-hmm. which was the, many years ago when Todd and I, um, how many, I don't know how many years ago it was, but our pastor at a Methodist church here in town, he said there was something going on with the election or with the war. It was like 10 years ago. Yeah. And he said, where are the buses? Yeah. Why are people not standing up and saying, this is not okay? He, he was saying, people, speak up. And it was at a time that everyone was so quiet shut, shut and shut down and numb. Yeah. And while I know everything that's happening because there's a lot of unrest is scary, especially because of what it's coming from, meaning there's a lot of violence we're seeing, and that's, but it's good that people are saying, we need change, and that they're speaking out to say, how do we unify? Yeah. Because if we don't have people who are willing to look at themselves and then say, how do we peacefully unify, then how do we expect change? I love it when people point things out. Like oh, this needs to change. They need to change. And I'm like, well, what are you doing about that? Well, and <laughs> I, and you know, this little podcast of ours is something that you know we're proud of, and hopefully, this will help the listeners kind of become more mindful and see their role and their perception of how things are. But um, honestly, I was enraged as anybody was from the events of last week, and I kind of feel like, what am I doing? Like, should I be out marching right now? I'm not. Mm-hmm. Like I, there's some guilt and shame on my own on in my own psyche right now mm-hmm. is if this truly is a travesty and things need to change, what, am I what is my role? Mm-hmm. While at the same time, I got to work, I got to be a parent, I got to be a husband, I got to do this, I got to do that. Where are my priorities? Where, where does this fit into my priorities? And honestly, if you look at my actions, pretty low. Well, it, I don't, I don't want to too much buy into that, Todd, because it's not always about going to the street. If you can, and it, if it becomes something, because obviously there, we're, we live not too far from Chicago, mm-hmm. which is a big city. So I'm not saying that that day will not come or that we will never do that. But I feel like just being able to have this conversation, because you're sitting here saying, we have the show, we hope listeners hear this or that. You guys know that Todd and I are working through things as we talk on this show, too. Like, we don't come to the microphone going, it's time for us to teach. We come to the microphone going, okay, do we have this straight I in don't. our bodies and minds? Right. Because I know that there are times I like to think, okay, things, I, feel, I feel good. But guess what? Mm-hmm. A day and a half goes by. Yeah. And like even right now, I'm kind of reeling from like the last two weeks of constant moving that Todd and I have been doing, people coming through our home, you know, traveling, being off schedule, um, having all these things that we needed to do, none of them bad or difficult, just, and now I'm, I am still kind of healing from that. Like I, my mouth hurts today, my head hurt yesterday. I'm exhausted, and I don't feel bad for myself. That's not what I'm saying, but I see that. I recognize that. You know, I'm still. There's not a time where we get to a point where we do it all perfectly. Right. We stop and start. We stop and start, and that's. This is one of these times where we need to stop, and say, "What are we doing?" And it may not be going into the street and protesting. We. It may be someday, but it may be how we speak, the language we use. The shutting up sometimes mm-hmm. and just listening, yeah, understanding what people are saying when they say Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. understand what people are saying and quit arguing that point. 
because that is something we need to look at. And having building compassion within ourselves so we can help our kids see things. You know, uh, last week when after the first shooting, um, I was upset in the kitchen and Cameron walked in and said, why are, why are you upset? I was looking at my phone. And I said, I told her the story of what happened to um, Alton Sterling. And in a, in a child-appropriate way, a man was hurt and didn't seem like he was doing much wrong. And it was hard, you know. And she said, aren't we done with all that? <laughs> aren't, isn't, isn't that over? And she was meaning issues regarding race. Yeah. And I said, oh, honey, it's not. And I didn't say that in a way like it's not get mad. I said, we have to keep our eyes open to this. Right. Is that there's laws that have been put in place. There are some things that have been dealt with, taken care of. The world is changing. You know, yes, we we have people um, who have made it big or, you know, just having a black president. Yeah. But that doesn't change everything. Yeah. And we have to keep our eyes open. We have to stay awake, which is always the language I use with the girls. Just stay awake. Stay awake doesn't mean become something different or... Um, be afraid. It means just stay awake. Don't don't go numb on me. Yeah. Well, and and love her optimism too. Me too. Kids are so. And that's the thing is, I didn't want to say no, no, it's a problem. Yeah. But I wanted to say, oh no, honey, there's still some things we're working on in the world. Yeah. But isn't that true with all of us? I mean, again, I'm taking it from a big issue to small. That's what I was trying to say about us. We can practice. Everyday self-awareness, and there's always going to be something to look at. Yeah, and then what you want to do is meet those things at the door, laugh, and invite them in. Yes, and understand that that is what life is. Life is not where you reach a goal and you're done. Mm-hmm. Life is not you make all this money and you're happy. Life is not you know you get married and have children and then everything is a breeze. Life is a constant process of you know, coming and going, growing and learning. And once you accept that, then there's not so much, you know, stubbornness or inability to, to recognize challenges when they come. Yeah. Um, so because of the heavy subject matter that we're talking about today, I didn't find an appropriate time to cut into you okay. so I can talk about my partners, cut into partners. Me. Um, so our first partner is Dr. Kelly from the Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, um, and her website is chirotree.com. Our second partner is John J. Kelly from the Chicago land area, um, and his website is chicagodentistonline.com. And I'll just do the third one, which is Avid Company Painting and Remodeling Throughout Chicago Land Area, avidco.net. So thanks to our three partners. Um, and I do feel like we should probably move on okay let's is, do it is there any other last minute Can I, things yeah one more last minute thing because you were just saying what do i do one thing that i write a lot now uh during meditation when i'm kind of working through my own challenges or angers or frustrations that i don't want to have bubble up and and explode on other people is my feeling to myself is the thing i say is be a safe person and what does that mean to me be a safe person be safe within your own skin. Trust who you are. Trust that you will work things through if you have challenges, but also be a safe person to other people. Mm-hmm. So what can you do, Todd, and what can we all do? Be a safe person. Somebody that someone can talk to and you're not going to try and win every conversation. Somebody that your children can go to and they're not going to feel as if 
they're going to get in trouble or be punished for things they're feeling. Somebody that someone on the street could walk up to and say, I need help. And you would say, I'm willing to help you. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever that may look like. Um, Are you a safe person? Mm. And I feel like in every way, shape and form that helps me ground myself in who I would like to be in the world. I don't know if I'm always safe, meaning, you know, you know me best. You're usually not as safe at nine o'clock at night when our kids are going nuts <laughs> than nine o'clock in the morning. This is true. Last night they were trying to help us make the bed and I had a headache and I was so tired. And I was like, because we had washed the sheets and I was like, please stop helping me. <laughs> please, please go away. I just was so done. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was more, I was just trying to be like, girls... Yes, I'm not. I'm not safe right now, and I don't mean I would hurt anybody. Not this is not about physical safety. It's just about like right now. I need to get back into myself. You're out of gas. I am done. Yeah. Yes. So, so yeah, that's good. iTunes review. We got one, but it was a good one from Carrie from California. Yeah. And I want to highlight that funny thing that she said. <laughs> yeah. She said, uh, "Never cut." Oh, first of all, the name of it is "You're Doing the Good Work." So thank you, Carrie. Never cut your show short in an effort to fit it into an hour or less. If people want to stop listening, they can. But it just slays me when Todd says, well, I'm going to talk about, I was going to talk about blank, but we're running out of time. She's like, no, (laughs) just tell us about it. I'll happily listen an extra 10 or 15 minutes. Keep the good stuff coming. I so agree. Carrie, right? Carrie. Carrie, I so agree. Because whenever Todd's like, well, we were going to do this, but we don't have time. I'm like, where are we going? Here's the thing. Um, today's a perfect example. Okay. I have a happy wife, happy life blog I wanted to talk about, but we're 45 minutes in and you have client coming in. I got, you know, it's, I love every one of our listeners. So thank you for listening. But it's, it's, we We have have a life. We have things that we got to do. And as does everybody else. Yeah. Um, I know, but go ahead. Talk talk to me about the blog. No, it's, it's, I want it. I want to give it more attention. I'm telling you. Oh my gosh, Carrie's dying. Carrie's right going to get mad. Carrie's like, Todd, that's exactly All right, what I'll I'm try saying. to sum it up. Please. It's always bugged me when, because guys, I don't know if this is language among women. You tell me. Okay. Happy wife, happy life. If, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, all mm-hmm. that. I've always gotten mad. I've been triggered by that phrase. Okay. And this guy, I don't even know his name. I'll include his blog in the show notes because it's so good. Because um, the idea is, as long as I do everything for you, my sweetie, and keep you happy, then my life is going to be happy. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's completely out of balance. It basically says that your needs are more important than my needs are. And that's simply not true. When we get married to our partner, there is equality that goes into it. And there are ramifications if you do subscribe to the happy wife, happy life idea. And I posted a few of them. Um you, what happens is we suffer in silence and women believe everything is okay as long as they're getting what they want. But that repression, if I put your needs always in front of my own needs, then there's going to be a cost associated with that. And that means I might go searching for love in another place, or it might mean that I might be, um, become feel connected. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no authentic connection between the two of us. So, um, one thing I noted is we talk, what you and I do, sweetie, is we talk about our challenges as they arise. It's really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. for us to do that. And it's not easy Mm -hmm. for us to do that. 
But because we do that, it makes our relationship fulfilled. And it's one of those things like, I don't want to just make you happy because then my happiness is dependent on something of your happiness. Outside of yourself. I need to take care of my own happiness. You need to take care of your happiness and hopefully our happinesses blend together as we go. So um, so for the wives, this is what they can do. Okay. And like I said, I want to kind of build around this, but because we don't have much time, create a safe and non-judgmental environment where your husband can share his feelings, desires, and challenges with you. Mm-hmm. And what us guys can do is give ourselves permission to make our own happiness a priority. Talk to your wife sincerely about what you want and why. And if you're able to do that, then your marriage will be more fulfilled. And if you're both able to listen and understand. Now, two things I would say to you. Number one, I think the reason that people say happy wife, happy life is because they recognize that oftentimes, generally speaking, um, the mother or the woman is the CEO of the home. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of things get done that you don't even know are getting done Mm -hmm. because I'm doing them. Right. And there are things that if... I am feeling put out or if I am feeling disconnected, those things may not get done as well. And I'm I'm not saying I would be um I'm being passive aggressive and not cleaning the house to make you angry. Right. I'm just saying that there is a sense of I'm fulfilling a lot of things that you're unaware of. So every once in a while to say, you know, to be like, make sure I'm doing it's kind of like a woman who is pregnant. Mm-hmm. She's carrying a baby, and so her needs are going to be a little more uh, necessary to focus on. Agreed. And what you want to do is make more deposits. We were talking about emotional bank account. You are making more deposits. Let's say you're pregnant and working and making all these huge, you know, like nursing. I mean, it's crazy. And then those responsibilities don't go away. They just change. They change. From pregnancy to nursing to being the CEO of a household and having three kids and everything else. Those are all deposits into our family's bank account. And so what I can do as the husband and the father figure in this house is make more deposits into your account by doing these things. So in a sense that it balances things out a little bit. Correct. And because I agree with you, the statement of happy wife, happy life, and forget the guy and the woman gets everything she needs is completely out of balance. And you know what that does? It creates resentment. Of course it does. In the guy. Of course. Like it, that to be, again, let's just talk about let's be human beings. Mm-hmm. Why should one human being get everything they want and the other one doesn't? The big but in there is that I think that statement has been turned into something that it really isn't wasn't meant to be. Which is like yesterday. You guys were gone yesterday. Um, Where were you during the day? Playing pickleball. You were playing pickleball. That's right. And I, the whole day, I cleaned, did all the laundry, did all the um, sheets, put away everybody's stuff, cleaned out the car, cleaned, you know, that's all I did. And these are things when someone comes home, they're not going to see them. Right. You know, like it was funny, Todd came into our bedroom last night and he... Todd's side of the bed, he like keeps, awesome. he keeps magazines from like six months ago. He's got like notes that Skylar gave him a year ago. Those are important. He's got a bunch of the kids' books important. next to his bed. Need those. They're completely, it's like, and then there's, it's like chaos on the floor because there's socks. So I don't see that side very much. But yesterday I went in, put everything away, threw everything away that, that not things that were dear to him, but just cleaned up. And he walked in and he, he looked around and I said, can you believe all the, and he, you also had 
five boxes of light bulbs yeah. on our dresser Important. for a month. That's where I keep them. But that's the thing is like, I look at those every day going, why are those there? So I said, I put all these away, I put the light bulbs away and you're like, didn't notice. No. My point is not to say, I can't believe you didn't notice. My point is to say there are things happening like that every day. Sending the kids to camp. I just gave them a kiss and say goodbye. And you had to do paperwork and shopping and emotionally meet the needs of our daughters. I did a little bit, but you right. certainly pull more weight in that department. So yeah, and that's my, you know, as a husband, one thing I can do is be more mindful or be more aware of some of the things that you are doing right because that's just something I'm not really good at and because we had a discussion last night I love really clean sheets Todd could care less about clean sheets and but part of me as in a joking way again I would never do this I would love to not wash the sheets for six months and see how much you really love them because we've been married now 13 or 14 years how long have we been married I don't know long time (laughs) and I've always washed the sheets. And so you're like, I don't care about wash sheets. But what if you had to sleep on filthy sheets? There's a breaking point. Yes. But your breaking point is a month. Mine is somewhere between one month and 10 years. <laughs> so would I break? Yes, but it would be, it, but it would it be later. Way, I'm never going to test you on it Go because ahead. I don't want to. Daria. I like clean Double dog Daria. I like clean sheets. So, so I want to say for the record, Todd, I agree with that statement because your needs as a human being, well, are and, just as valuable as And it's as just mine. not that. It's the way it is said amongst a group of men. Totally. So we say, happy wife, happy life, and there'll be the sarcastic laughter, and it drives me nuts. Well, and it's a passive, almost like those It's kind of like, are, aren't my wife, aren't our wives a bunch of B-I-T-C-H's? Yes, yes, that's it. Ugh. Yes. Aren't, can you believe how needy they yes. are? Yes. And we're just doing it to pacify them as if it's not about building relationship and if it's not about, you know, actually having a friendship and not doing it so you get your way, but doing it because it's the right thing to do to take care of each other. Um, Well, and I think that's why a lot of marriages fail is because, you know, the man ends up partially subscribing to that ideology and then having resentment for his wife and doesn't want to be at home. You, You know how many times I've heard from not coworkers, but associates in my industry saying, oh, as soon as your daughters are hit puberty, you're never going to want to be home. (laughs) And I'm like, what? That's their experience. Yeah. And they're like, like, oh, this is common knowledge. They're going to be a disaster. (laughs) Like, no, am I going to have challenges? Of course I am. But no, I don't want to be away from my house for six years. I like my house. I like the people that live in there. And the fact that guys will just dog their families to each other. It drives me nuts. And I know women do the same thing with the, with each other. Oh, sure. So. Oh, sure. I hear that too. Um, but that is, well, you said it beautifully. I like being in my home. I like the people who are here and running away from them is not my yeah. life intention. And then, and then something bad will happen to the daughter, like bad grades or get pregnant or something like, oh, how did this happen? Well, <laughs> you're not around, dude. Things happen. Yeah. Be around. Yeah, self-awareness, again. Um, and can I give this quote? Because I've been saying this to you this week, and I find it very powerful. Sure. And I think it fits this. Thich Nhat Hanh, one of our favorite teachers, mindfulness teachers. I wonder how he's doing, by the way. I haven't got many updates on him. He had a stroke a year or so ago, and I, I don't see him on, not that I ever saw him on Facebook, literally, but I just... I'm guessing if, I don't know if he can talk or anything, but even if he can't, I'm guessing... He's okay. I'm guessing he's at peace. Yeah, isn't that He's probably looking at a flower in a hospital room and be completely content as yeah. opposed to the rest of us that 
would resent where we were. So Thich Nhat Hanh says, this is one of my favorite things, you must love in such a way that the person you love feels free. Yeah. And wow, is that meaningful to me. And that is the one of my biggest life breakdowns that I ever had. And it was a good one. It was a like a really intense, went through kind of a bad depression and then really f- what came out of it, you know, in hindsight, it was good. In the moment, it wasn't fun. But the hindsight was you have to let everybody go, Kathy. We just you had this to... conversation last week. We did. Because uh, I jokingly said to the kids, you know, as soon as you, where are you going to go to college? Are you going to go to college by us or whatever? Or after you graduate, assuming they do, you know, you're going to stay close. And I jokingly you was saying joking, that. Yeah. And you and I had a conversation afterwards saying the best way to keep your daughters close is to give them permission to get the heck out of here right. and go live on the other side of the globe. That's right. Because if they do feel that freedom from you that you kind of encourage them to do whatever they want, they're more likely close, more likely to stay put. Or they're more likely to want to stay connected to you. Yeah. Because anytime you're with someone who allows you to be yourself and yeah. you know you can fully be free in front of them, you want to spend as much time with them yeah. as you can. The people who tell you how to be and expect you to be a certain way and that you have to like dress up for and pretend for, those are not the people you want to stay by. Yeah. And so on a, I know that we have to go, Todd, but on a much, because that's a very literal level of letting them go away to school or, or where they want to go, but it's deeper than that. Let people be who they are. Yeah. Let people be free to say what they feel. Let people be free, have enough humility to be quiet and to recognize that you may not understand how other people feel. This goes back to the beginning of the show. Yeah. Have enough, be humble enough to say, I really don't know. And if this is the experience you're having, then I hear you. And if we can do that for each other, then people feel free that they can get their needs met and be understood and be validated because people just want to be seen, heard, and validated. That is the truth for all people. And if we could do more of that for others and for ourselves, this world would be a lot more peaceful. <laughs> well done, sweetie. Uh, we have three events coming up. Okay. First event, Kathy and I are speaking at this thing called Zen Love Fest. No, no. It's called Soul Love Fest. Sorry. Soul Love Fest. It's getting hair out of my eyes. Yes. Um, it's two days of yoga, meditation, wellness, growth, and possibility. We have a coupon code. Okay. Zen love for 20% off of registration. Cool. Zen love, no space in between Zen and love. September 17th and 18th in Oswego, Illinois, which is a Western suburb of Illinois. Second event is we are doing a screening of screenagers on September 26th. And if you want to register for that, that's at York Theater here in Elmhurst. It's actually, it's not so much register, you buy a ticket. Buy it's a ticket. at York Theater, go to zenparentingradio.com, click events, and you'll see you can get your ticket. And lastly, we have the Zen Gets Real second annual conference coming up on February 24th and 25th. So put those in your calendars or whatever. You, did you say the date of Soul Love Fest? September 17th and 18th. Okay. But we're speaking on the first day, which is the 17th. Morning. Saturday morning. 9.30 or something like that. September 17th. So it's all on the website, soullovefest.com, I think. Yeah. Okay. Soullovefest.com. So we'll finish with that same song? Yeah. All right. Keep um, going. So everybody, um, take care of yourselves. The better you take care of yourself, I'm not the better you can take care of others. All I'm just True dad, sweetie. Love the world. All right. See ya. I say it in my own house. And I say it on the street 
I say it on the record, y'all, and I say it on the beat. I paint it on the wall, y'all, so that everybody sees. When we all see justice, then we'll all see peace. It's the same as it ever was, but there's gotta be a better way. It's the same as it ever was, but today's a different day. Thanks for listening, folks. Hope you felt outstanding. So there's some different ways you can support us. Um, one of them is by asking either Kathy or myself or maybe both of us to speak at your next event. Or you can also tell a friend about our podcast. If you ship Amazon, go through the link on zenparentingradio.com first. It doesn't cost you anything, but Zen Parenting will get a small commission. You can also buy any of Kathy's three amazing books through Amazon or our homepage. And if you're like me and you want to teach your children personal financial management, then use FAMZOO. It's an amazing resource. It's a virtual family bank that will set your children on a path towards financial freedom. Click on the link on the lower right-hand side of our homepage to learn more. And if you're a Chicago guy and want to learn more about the tribe, the men's group that I lead, go to thetribemensgroup.com. Do you want to grow your business by partnering with us? Shoot me an email. And you can also give us an iTunes review. Lastly, you can subscribe to our podcast through our homepage or iTunes directly. This will guarantee you're up to speed on the latest and greatest of Zen Parenting Radio. You can always send me an email at comments at zenparentingradio.com and I'll be happy to get back to you as soon as I can. Finally, we're thankful for all your support and encouragement and always remember that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Keep trucking. Thank you.